This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The biggest thing is to get that darn bad taste out of your mouth from a couple of weeks ago to win a game. It was a close game against a team that was hitting stride. I mean, that's, you know, I, I remember I was talking to Brady Quinn who did the game, and, you know, you watch the beginning of the game, and that, that's that, that's going to be a hell of a team down the road now. And uh, we got a lot of respect for them. Remember that? That was Urban Meyer less than two years ago, November 3rd, 2018. His Buckeyes had just outlasted Nebraska 36-31 in Columbus. But one of the two or three best coaches in the game at that time was, was impressed. Uh, since that day, Nebraska has gone 7-8. and eight. Ohio State has switched head coaches. Myers out. Ryan Day is in. And somewhat shockingly, didn't miss a beat. Ohio State's 18-1 and one over that same stretch. But go back to that day, and Meyer was effectively saying, this is going to be a problem, referencing Nebraska. Is this the year the Huskers start to look like the future buyer saw on film and then on the field two years ago? Is this the game that can launch Nebraska towards that or at least bring them a little bit closer? You're listening to the IED Preview Podcast, Husker Buckeyes edition. Let's talk some football. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity, and if you missed last week's undergo underground special intro episode to this podcast. Don't worry, you didn't, didn't miss a ton. We'll catch you up really quickly. Uh, the ID preview is, surprise, a, a, a weekly preview of Nebraska's upcoming football game. The hope here is to, through some pretty deep analysis, uh, a look at some key players, uh, a look at some key trends to watch, uh, we'll arrive at a better understanding of what might happen on Saturday. The original concept was to... Time this towards a person's drive into the stadium. Unfortunately, 2020 has conspired against us. Nobody's driving to any Big Ten stadiums, unfortunately. But we will proceed. You can listen to this podcast whenever you want uh, ahead of game time. And hopefully we'll, we'll learn a little something through the process. The plan for these will be to divide it into a, a first half and a second half just like a football game. Uh, first half, we'll kind of run through the odds makers view on the game, see what that can tell us about perceived team strength and highlight some key players on both sides uh, to j- just give you an idea of who needs to play well, some matchups to watch. It's a little bit tough in a week one scenario. Um, in some cases, particularly with Ohio state, which has all the talent in the world, We'll be highlighting some pretty well-known names, uh, and yeah, they're they're probably going to play pretty well because they're all looking like future first-rounders. For Nebraska, we can be a little bit more selective um, and highlight three guys that I think Nebraska needs to play well in, in this particular matchup. So we'll get to that. Then we'll have a, uh, a special surprise at, at halftime for you and move into the second half where we'll get into a little more team breakdown um, interesting data and a three point plan, I guess I can call it for how Nebraska has a chance to, to win this game. And yes, I, I, I understand. I know what the point spread is at for this one. Circa sports in Las Vegas opened it at, I think it was Ohio state minus 23. Uh, one of the online sports books had been come out even a couple of days earlier at minus 21 or 21 and a half. And as of Wednesday, it was up to Ohio State minus 26 or 27, somewhere in that range. So that tells you uh, where that's going. It tells you what the public thinks of Ohio State, and that's a reputation that's certainly well-earned at this point. Two of the power rankings that I look up look at most often, well, well the first one, the one I pay the most attention to is Bill Connolly's SP+, which he now does for ESPN. Uh, in his rankings going into this week. He had Ohio State as the number one team in the country. Yes, even though they haven't played a game yet, 
Um, this is not a resume based ranking system. It is a predictive ranking system. And that's what his numbers had Ohio State at, uh, at with a rating of 30.2. That's can be read as his numbers are saying Ohio State is 30.2 points better than an average team on a neutral field. Nebraska is actually pretty high in these rankings as well, given that they're coming off of back-to-back losing seasons under Scott Frost. The Huskers have a rating of 9.9. Do the math on that, account for home field, which gets a little interesting in pandemic times, but SP Plus is saying Ohio State by about 22.5 points. FPI, ESPN's other, um, I guess not competing, but I kind of view them that way, Uh, but ESPN's other ranking system, the Football Power Index, has Ohio State as the number two team in the country, 30 points better than the average team. It has the Huskers down at 40th, 6.6 points better than the average team. So that gives you a spread of about Ohio State minus 26. So the actual point spread that you can go out and bet right now in Vegas or online is somewhere in that range of, of what these two power rankings are saying. Just as a, a means of comparison with that, Nebraska was a 17-point underdog last year at home against an Ohio State team that, for much of last season, looked historically good, like not just was one of the best teams in the country, but maybe one of the best teams ever. 2018, when Nebraska went to Ohio State, uh, it was a 17.5-point underdog. So this is considerably higher biggest line at Nebraska, I think, since Penn State in 2017. Huskers went to State College as a 27 and a half point underdog. So they've got their work cut out for them. This is part of the reason why. Let's move into players to watch for Ohio State. There's just a ridiculous amount of players here to choose from. Uh, And towards the end of this segment, we'll get into just the talent that Ohio State has on hand. But to highlight a couple of key guys, uh, cornerback Sean Wade, Ohio State fans had the unique pleasure of getting a future first round defensive back back twice. Um, He returned twice. That's what I mean. In the spring, Wade was one of those guys who was kind of a borderline decision for an early entry into the NFL draft, decided to come back. COVID happened. Everything went haywire. But he stuck it out for, for quite a while, uh, eventually opting out shortly before the Big Ten announced it was returning. And when the Big Ten did have games to play again, uh, Sean Wade decided to opt back in and he'll be on the field for the Buckeyes on Saturday. That's important. Um, I mean, again, you're always talking about shades of gray a little bit with Ohio State, whereas teams that are less talented are a little more black and white. But Wade is the only returning starter in the secondary, so that'll be something to watch. On the defensive line, Ohio State's also pretty green there, uh, losing three or four, three or four starters from last year, uh, including defensive end Chase Young, who Scott Frost this week called maybe the best college pass rusher he's been on a college field with. Uh, so high praise there. Zach Harrison is a name to watch. Uh, he wasn't a starter last year. But as a true freshman, he did have three and a half sacks. Uh, just super talented. He seems like the next in line for a program that has produced a lot of high draft picks on the defensive line. So keep an eye on Harrison. Uh, we'll see what Ohio State does with him in terms of where they line him up. But could get interesting because by all accounts, it seems like Nebraska is going to start a redshirt freshman at right tackle in Bryce Benhart. So. That's part of the reason why Harrison is here. Also because he's he's really, really good. I'm guessing you can probably guess the third player to watch from Ohio State. Um, it's quarterback Justin Fields. Don't need to uh, try to prove how, how good he is, but here just quickly, his, his QBR, his total QBR rating, which is a stat that I like because it includes rushing as well as passing uh, in terms of trying to measure the impact a quarterback is is having on the game. Uh, His QBR last year was 92.1 in the top five nationally, of course, but more importantly, Ohio State has also had a run of really good quarterbacks of late, but that 92.1 from Fields is better than the best season Dwayne Haskins had, 
better than the best season JT Barrett had, better than the best season Braxton Miller had. And that wasn't a given. Um, when when Fields transferred from Georgia, you know, he was he was a relative unknown in terms of his ability to play at the college level. We knew he was a five-star quarterback and you had every reason to believe he was going to be very good. Well, he came out last year and was even better. So that's a big challenge. Um, he was super efficient through three interceptions last year, which is which is remarkable for a guy who's was was a first time starter. Um, so Nebraska is going to have to deal with that. All of college football is going to have to deal with that, and it's a it's a pretty big challenge. Now let's move to Nebraska, non Adrian Martinez edition. Um, look. We could include Adrian Martinez every week in this um, and probably be justified in doing it. Doesn't feel all that illustrative. Uh, I don't think that's one of those things that helps increase our understanding of of the game. So I'm going to leave him out for this one. But look, Adrian needs to play better. Um, He needs to be better than he was a year ago. Part of the reason Nebraska was able to hang with Ohio State in 2018 is Adrian Martinez played really well, um, both in the passing game and the running game. And we're all well aware of how things went in 2019 coming off a a really strong freshman year. And everyone's anxious to see uh, what he's able to do. In terms of players outside of the quarterback position for, for Nebraska, uh, my, my top one is Diedrich Mills. If he's been, the coaches have been quite clear uh, how much they intend to give him the ball this year. Uh, he, he seems more than up for it. And, and I think that's good. You know, Nebraska was Nebraska last year was as run heavy as a Scott Frost offense has been since, since Frost has been a head coach. Um, and, and that's a little bit bizarre because if you remember post Minnesota last year, after Nebraska kind of got handled on both lines of scrimmage, Frost was talking about needing to find some runs that would work. Uh, They didn't have them and they ran it anyway, uh, which I think also tells you a little bit about how they felt about wide receiver last year outside of JD Spielman and Wandale Robinson, which is another lingering issue in in my opinion for Nebraska as we look at 2020. But Mills, Mills is an intriguing one. He, He had some really good games towards the end of last year. The, the 2019 Ohio state game, got out of hand early and you need to, you need to factor that in when, when looking at anything from that game. But Mills was, was pretty strong. Actually he had 11 carries, not a ton um, as Nebraska fell behind big early, uh, but went for 6.1 yards per carry against Ohio state last year. His predicted points added um, PPA for, for short in that game was the best of any of Husker, the, the Huskers' major offensive contributors in that game. So better than Adrian Martinez, better than J.D. Spielman, better than Maurice Washington. Um, and, and predicted points added is just a measure that's trying to tell you how much individual plays, and then you can break it out by individual players, are adding or subtracting to the value of a drive. Um, I think those other three that I just mentioned uh, all were negative in that game. But, but Diedrich Mills was well in the positive at 0.632, which is a really high number on a, on a per, per play basis. He also was really, really good against Wisconsin. Rushed 17 times and averaged 11.1 yards per carry in that game. So there's, there's a lot of intrigue on my end, at least, and I think a lot of other people's, to, to see what Mills can do. Um, he's, he's got some talent. I think he's, his running style suits this offense really well. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of some of the Oregon backs that Frost co- coached while he was there as the offensive coordinator. So we'll see uh, if Nebraska is to have success this year, running the football is going to be a huge, huge part of it. And that's, that's true for any team in the country. But I think for Nebraska's offense to get where it wants to be, it, it has to be, it has to remind you a little bit of Oregon. And I'm not talking about tempo there. I'm talking about its ability to, run well, have a handful of sort of go-to plays and just run them in succession and have backs that can make those, those in a lot, a lot of cases inside and outside zone uh, runs work with their vision and their ability to get up field quickly. We'll see if Mills could be that guy. 
Second on my list for the Huskers, and I could have gone a couple of different ways here, but thought about uh, either of the inside linebackers, Will Honus or Colin Miller. I think they would be good options here, but I went with Deontay Williams. Um, missed all but two games last year. Got Well, no, missed all but one game last year. Got hurt in the opener against South Alabama, which, which was a tough loss for Nebraska. The coaching staff was really high on him going into last year had two interceptions and 23 tackles in his first year with Nebraska in 2018. And then his season ended before it ever really got started last year. He's back. He's on this list for, for one specific reason. Nebraska needs to tackle better and Ohio state's going to move the ball. They're going to move the ball on everybody this year. Um, barring some sort of unforeseen disaster that, that changes that. But, if Nebraska can kind of keep plays in front of it and tackle well, you all, you're always going to give yourself a chance there. That wasn't the case in 2019. The 2019 defense made some gains, some some important gains in a couple of key categories. Tackling wasn't one of them. Nebraska's 12.3 missed tackle percentage, according to Sports Source Analytics, ranked 102nd nationally. I think having two senior safeties can help with that. Um, you know, as those guys kind of come down in the box and have to offer run support. I expect Ohio State to be maybe a little bit more run heavy in this game specifically uh, with, with Nebraska needing to replace technically three starters on the defensive line. So you could go linebacker here, but I'm, I'm excited to see Deontay Williams. He's, he's a guy who's flashed uh, a lot of promise and just through injuries hasn't been able to fully show it yet. So we'll see if, uh, if Saturday is a little bit of a coming out party for him. Player number three is, well, players. Uh, Again, I could have highlighted one of the tight ends, but instead I just included all of the tight ends. Uh, Nebraska has three that are probably all going to play quite a bit this year, I expect, with Jack Stoll, Austin Allen, and Rutgers transfer, who registered last year, Travis Vokalek. Uh, You go back to that 2018 Ohio State game and – Stolen Allen combined for four catches and 58 yards, which you know, isn't anything that you lead the post-game story with. But going back and watching that, Nebraska had some really nice play designs to to get them open. Austin Allen's catch went for 41 yards. It was it was a big play, and I, I put those tight ends here as well because they'll they'll be involved in the run game. But more than that. Um, I just don't feel great about Nebraska's receivers yet. And that's, you know, having not seen anything, but the status of Omar Manning was up in the air. He was the junior college transfer who people pinned a lot of hopes to. Didn't know if he was going to be available by midweek. Um, and, and Nebraska's just really green there. Cade Warner has impressed everybody with his leadership, uh, was named a captain going into the season. But is, is he a guy when you talk about Sean Wade and other players who are probably on their way to becoming Sean Wade-like, you know, it, it, the, the matchups just don't favor Nebraska there on paper. Now, we'll see if Nebraska through play design and what it can do in the run game can, can work those guys open. Um, the Scott Frost offense really does a great job of, of getting receivers open. It's just a matter of making the right chase at quarterback and delivering the ball on time. So it's not all about talent here, but I, I just, with a longer than expected off season, Nebraska has been working really hard to upgrade its receiving core. I mean, Scott Frost has said from, you know, I think one of the first days he showed up that depth was lacking at a couple of key spots and receiver was definitely one of those. I think the Huskers are going to have to make up for that a little bit, at least early on this season with what looks like a pretty good and deep group of of tight ends. So that's my third one. Uh, Keep an eye on all of those guys. I think for Nebraska to to stick around for a while in this game, if they're getting involved, that's probably a pretty good sign. Finally, at least here for the first half, I wanted to talk about talent in general. A little bit and we're not going to belabor the point um we are going to be talking about recruiting rankings so all of the caveats and disclaimers that we're well aware of uh, apply here a player's ranking in high school 
isn't necessarily how they perform on the field. Um, Husker fans know this all too well with some, some high profile recruits of recent past. Um, but they are a decent enough predictor. Um, I guess the way to put this is they're not useless. They, they do tell us something um, and talent accumulation and acquisition is, is a key part of college football. We all know that Ohio State has the most in the Big Ten, but I just kind of wanted to underscore just how far it is ahead of the rest of the league. So according to 24-7's team talent rankings, which is just a four-year look back at recruiting rankings among the 85 scholarship players every team should have, Ohio State's third nationally, behind only Georgia and Alabama. Here's what that looks like. They have 14 five-stars on this roster. They have 52 four-stars on this roster. Uh, Bud Elliott, who is now at 24-7 Sports, kind of pioneered the blue-chip ratio, which is four- and five-star players as a, as a ratio or a percentage of the 85 scholarship limit. Ohio State's at 77.6%. Next closest in the Big Ten, for for reference, is Penn State. They're 13th nationally with one five-star, 47 four-stars, and a 56.5% blue chip rate. That's about the break-even point, 50% for what you could consider national championship contenders, and Penn State's right on that line. Nebraska is actually the highest-rated team uh, according to these team talent rankings in the Big Ten West for 2020. However, uh, just for reference, that's that's one spot behind Mississippi State and one spot ahead of Arkansas. The SEC remains a, a recruiting beast, um, even at the lower levels of that conference. Though, hey, Arkansas State or Arkansas is is playing pretty well of late. So, for the Huskers, they have zero five stars. They've signed one uh, this century, Marlon Lucky. And 22 four-stars on the current roster for a 25.9% blue-chip ratio. So if we do the math on this, Ohio State has 52 four-stars right now, the the team that Nebraska is going to play. Nebraska signed 61 four-stars since it joined the Big Ten in in 2011. That's that's not to paint this as, as hopeless, but I think it... A lot of the time saying, well, Ohio State has the most talent in the Big Ten doesn't accurately portray just how much they're lapping the rest of the league, minus occasionally Penn State and Michigan. Their their four-star total on this team nearly matches Nebraska's four-star total during its entire time in the Big Ten. It's just, it's kind of unthinkable. Uh, And Scott Frost talked about how that sort of talent gap manifest itself on the field this week that certainly adds to the challenge uh, again i thought we had some good plays for him last year and the, the biggest challenge in playing a team like this is you'll have a gap you'll have a crease you'll have a little bit of space and it gets erased really fast um, because of the talent they have on the field there is a silver lining here potentially for nebraska uh, and we'll get to that in the second half but for now, halftime uh, for your halftime enjoyment. Here's Rusty Dawkins, meteorologist, with a look at the weather for Saturday in Columbus. You'll see Rusty across various Hail Varsity platforms this season. We're really excited about that. And you can follow him at Husker Weather on Twitter. Hi there, everyone. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins for Hail Varsity and the I-80 Preview Podcast. We're looking at the Huskers at Ohio State in Columbus for the first game of the year. And overall, looking like a pretty good day for football. Uh, we are going to have a crisp feel to the day, overcast skies, not much wind, definitely a fall feel to the day. Now, there is going to be a cold front that will be rolling through Ohio late Friday into very early Saturday morning. Now, this could have a lot of rain with it, but it shouldn't affect the game. There could be a few lingering showers, mainly in the morning hours on Saturday, could linger into the beginning of of the first quarter, second quarter, but that's not looking very likely. As long as that cold front pushes through like it's supposed to, we'll get a rain-free kickoff at 11 a.m. But even if a few showers are still around, looks like those should clear out by the end of the game. Now, temperatures... 
they're going to be a little on the cooler side, uh, cooler than they normally are for this time of year in Columbus, which is right around the lower 60s for highs. So in the early morning hours, we'll see the, the thermometer sitting right around 50 degrees and temperatures will slowly climb into the middle 50s by kickoff. But that's about it. We'll make it much further than that for the rest of the day. Unless we see a little bit of sunshine by the fourth quarter, we could see those temperatures bump, in the, bump up into the upper 50s. But that would be about it. The wind, not going to be much of an issue throughout the game. It's going to be light and out of the northeast at 5 to 15 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins for Hill Varsity. Go Big Red. All right, let's dive into the second half. Uh, this is the part I particularly like because we get to talk about some some team trends, uh, some interesting numbers. Again, you're a little bit limited in week one uh, because in a lot of cases you're talking about last year's stats. A lot of my work for this went into revisiting those 2018 and 2019 Nebraska-Ohio State games, two, uh, two very different sides of the coin in, in terms of result, but, but there were some interesting things there. Um, I'm going to break this out each week into how Nebraska wins the game, how the opponent wins the game, except for this week. Uh, how does Ohio State win this game? It's pretty simple. It looks like Ohio State. Um, we just talked about the talent discrepancy here, they have a great coaching staff. They are consistent winners. They're about, really, you can go back, and I, I did this a while ago, well, a couple of years ago for a story in, in Hale Varsity. Um, subscribe today, get that print edition. There's there's good stuff in there that doesn't always make it online. Uh, looking back at kind of the percentage of AP polls that, that programs have been in going all the way back to 1968, and Nebraska ranked really highly there. Um, that's they, they had a really good run from, I think it was 68 to, to 2002, where they were ranked in every AP poll, which still boggles the mind. But overall, um, in the years since then, Ohio State's kind of made up the difference. Um, they're the most consistent program of the last 50 or 60 years. They don't have as many national titles as, as Alabama or even some others, but in terms of just being nationally relevant, being a fixture in the polls. Uh, Ohio State's really about as good as it gets. So they have all of that history. They have all of that talent. Uh, they have won games in the recent past while struggling in the past game. They've they've won games while turning it over three times. They're, they're 4-0 in games like that since 2018, which is pretty remarkable. There's not a lot of teams that can turn it over three times and – and, and keep winning. And that's Ohio state. So we're not going to belabor the point on the Buckeyes. They're really good. Um, they can play poorly to a degree, um, and still come away with wins and they're probably going to be able to move the ball. Um, this is a, still a developing Nebraska defense. Um, so the Huskers best hope here is to potentially, uh, go shot for shot with, with Ohio state, which is a big challenge in its own right. But we'll see how the Huskers can do. And here are three ways I think Nebraska can potentially stay in this game uh, and maybe even pull off pull off a win. It's a it's a strange year in college football. Uh, the line is what the line is for a reason. It would be a a really shocking upset. And we've seen some upsets, but not uh, at least off the top of my head that I can think of. Not from a team that's almost a four touchdown underdog. So Nebraska has its work cut out for it. The first thing Nebraska absolutely has to do to stay in this game, in my opinion, is the Huskers have to stay on schedule. And I'm talking about down in distance there. That might seem basic, and it is to a degree. That's that's kind of a building block of, of football success. But I don't. I just don't see a way in which the Huskers are in this game late in the third quarter into the fourth quarter if it's having to rely on big plays to make up for a lack of success on first and second down, it needs consistent efficiency. And what's happening on first down is, is really going to tell you a lot early on about the Huskers readiness for this game, their, their ability to, to hang around and just uh, how, the, how they're doing against an Ohio state defense that yes, is talented, but has to replace a lot. And is, is under a new defensive coordinator. Uh, Kerry Coombs, he's, he's a guy who Buckeye fans are plenty familiar with. He spent the previous two seasons with the Tennessee Titans, uh, but he's back at Ohio state. Now he came and first came in 2012 to join urban Meyer's staff. And he's 
kind of a beloved figure in in Columbus. So I don't project a major drop off, but when weighing that against the Buckeyes offense, yeah, you think there might be a little bit more room to work uh, against the defense. So when the Huskers have the ball, first thing they've got to do is is find some efficiency. Um, Here's an interesting number on that. And I think when you look back at the 2019 season and ask yourself, well, why didn't this go the way that a lot of people thought it would? You know, Nebraska was projected in the top 25. It was supposed to be kind of the next step in, in the program's ascension under this new coaching staff and didn't really happen. Um, I wouldn't call this the cause, but I think it's a symptom that, that explains quite a bit. So last year, Nebraska went from 20, excuse me, Nebraska was 22nd nationally in predicted points added on first down in 2018. So what that's saying is they are adding, they were in the top 25 in terms of adding value to their drives with every first down play they ran. And of course, with the way football works, first down is the most frequent down. You have to have that before you have any others. Uh, it's, it's the goal to keep drives alive. And if you're producing a ton of value on first down, you can get away with with producing less on second and third as long as you keep those the, the chains moving. That entire kind of roadmap flipped for Nebraska. They fell to 97th in predicted points added on first down in, in 2019, and it made a huge difference. They were still able – they were one of the best teams in terms of third down uh, PPA, but it didn't matter. Like you're putting yourself too far behind the eight ball at that point too often – to, to be able to get there. Um, in looking back at that 2018 game against Ohio State, Nebraska was really strong on first down in that game. Had a predicted points added of 0.344, which is quite high. Um, over the last two years, that's the second best number any team has put up against Ohio State. The only one better was Clemson in last year's classic college football playoff win. So in good company there. Uh, you could also look at this as through success rate, which is, which is a stat that I I look at quite often. That's a actual statistical measure, um, crafted by football outsiders. It sets some thresholds to determine, okay, are you staying on schedule? It just sets up a, a a binary for every play. Was it successful? Well, if you got 50% of the yards needed on first down, 70% of the yards needed on second down, and then 100% on third or fourth, those plays are those plays are considered a success. If they don't hit those thresholds, then it's an unsuccessful play. Uh, Nebraska in 2018 had a 54.4% success rate against Ohio State. National average year to year is about 42. Uh, the Huskers number against the Buckeyes is the the highest of the last two years against Ohio State. So even better than 2019 Clemson in, in the college football playoff. And even last year, that that 2019 game that got out of hand really quickly, Nebraska had a 39.6% success rate in that, which is is below average, um, below the national average, though, against that Ohio State defense. It was actually doing pretty well. It was actually the highest success rate that Ohio State allowed. Now, you have to factor in a lot of that game. In fact, pretty much all of the second half is what you would consider from a statistical standpoint, at least garbage time. So maybe dock that a little bit in your mind, but Nebraska still did some good things. You, you, you can't turn the ball over three times. You can't throw three interceptions in the first half against a team like that and expect to win. But if you're, you're thinking back to that, that one drive where Nebraska came out, I think the first play in a, essentially a flex bone set, and then ran I formation for a couple of plays, forced timeout from Ryan Day in Ohio state and then ended in a, a, a bizarre interception with uh, Jeffrey Okuda on his back, the ball falling right to him. Uh, that's kind of how that was. I mean, Nebraska's legitimate successes were, were hidden by the fact that while they were already down 35 to nothing or, or whatever it was at the point. But for this game, looking forward, this is an offense that relative to Ohio State's own strength had some pretty good success twice now. Can they do it again? Okay, step two on this three-step plan to, well, 
victory, hopefully, if you're if you're a Nebraska fan. But I'll take just playing well. I mean, in fact, that's that's kind of how I, I, I look at football. Um, it's it's a little bit backwards. The only thing that matters, i.e. the score, who won and lost, uh, becomes a little bit less, I, I, don't, I don't know what the right word is, here is. Uh, I don't want to say less consequential, but I'm really focused on how well teams are playing. And sometimes you can play really well in a loss. Sometimes you can play pretty poorly in a win. Uh, and that often tells us more about what's to come from those teams than the final result itself. I guess that's where I'm coming from. But our second point here is focused on the defense. Uh, Nebraska has good returning production overall. Uh, That's part of the reason why it's relatively highly ranked in the SP plus ratings. But on the defensive side, it's it's not quite as high as it was on on the offense. Uh, Offense based on Nebraska's returning production is a group that you would expect to improve. Defense is kind of in a middle ground where it's like could go either way. Uh, they, they do return all four starters in the secondary, uh, depending on how you want to count Cam Taylor Britt uh, moving into that corner spot to to replace Lamar Jackson. But I think that can be a strength. Defensive line's a little bit of a concern. But the bigger thing is, is you know, Nebraska has not shown the ability to be a, a classic Big Ten defense yet under under Eric Shenander. And I don't know if that's totally the plan, which isn't to say that Nebraska doesn't want to play good defense. It's not, it's not that at all. It's just built a little bit differently, and it's meant to be paired with an offense that's going to hope to average 38, 40, 42 points a game in, in the very near future. And, and that gives you some wiggle room as a defense, but it also changes what you what you really set out to do and what you really make an emphasis. And one of those things is, is what we call havoc rate. Um, it's just a measure of forced fumbles, tackles for loss and passes defended, which is pass breakups plus interceptions. They're those, those negative plays They're they're being disruptive. Um, and, and that can be a pretty good and, and powerful measure. And this is one area. If you look at Nebraska's rush defense, which definitely needs to get better to, to survive in the big 10, um, you, you may not be that impressed. You may be like, well, there's a lot of work to do here. And, and there is, but if you look at Nebraska's havoc rate from these, these previous two seasons, 2018 and 2019, there's a little bit of proof of concept there. Um, it's, we know it's important. Uh, you can go back and find Eric Shenander talking about these things, uh, at UCF. And that certainly came with them to, to Nebraska, Last year, Nebraska had a havoc play. So again, force fumble, tackle for loss, pass defended on 26.3% of its defensive downs, which was 10th nationally. So really good. Uh, in 2018, it was 18.2%, which was 33rd. So still pretty good with an active and experienced secondary. Uh, I think Nebraska is probably going to have to lean on those guys in terms of pass breakups. Um, and, and hopefully if you're Eric Shenander, uh, interceptions, uh, the tackles for loss piece is going to be it's going to be tough, particularly against a, a Ohio State offensive line that's pretty good yet again. Uh, but these these are the sorts of things like you, you're Nebraska just locking down Ohio State isn't in the cards. No, nobody does that. Uh, it, they're just they're just too strong offensively. Uh, they're too good at quarterback year in and year out, and their ceilings probably is high quarterback right now, uh, as it has been at any point of, well, since urban Meyer got there in 2012. So that's, that's what you're going against. Uh, and you could see a little bit, the difference that, that havoc rate had on, on these two games, Nebraska's played against Ohio state 2018. It was, was 16%, which was below Nebraska's season average, but way above what Ohio state came in allowing. So that made a difference. Um, you can remember, I think the, the biggest one was Lamar Jackson's interception in the end zone uh, that, that stopped a scoring drive. Ohio State doesn't give teams many of those in a year, and Nebraska got one. Last year, the havoc rate for Nebraska against Ohio State, not so good, 9.7%, uh, which, was, which was below even what Ohio State was allowing, and Ohio State only allowed, on average, 13.1% in, in 2019, which was third nationally. This, this talk goes a little against what I, I typically try to do with this, this 
have a grit can be pretty volatile. It's it's pretty tough to say, all right, guys, we'll just go out there and force some fumbles and interceptions to which they probably would apply. We're trying. <laughs> we're, we're trying to do that on every play, just like every play, football player in the history of game has tried to do. But it's it's one of those things. If you if you see those um, in, in at, at twenty eighteen game, Nebraska forced four fumbles and, and recovered two of them. Uh, so that was that was a pretty big deal. If if Nebraska is active in the secondary and getting some balls batted down, or or even intercepted, um, that's another kind of general health check on this game. And if if Nebraska is getting tackles for loss, for sure, I'm, I'm not expecting them to get many. But if they are, uh, that's a very good sign for Nebraska in in how things are going. Okay, we'll we'll finish our third point on our our, our three step uh, prognosis for Nebraska here, I guess, uh, with a simple one: finishing drives. Um, this is hugely important. Again, it might seem a little. Uh, rudimentary when you, when you get into it and, and really break it down. But this is, this is another one where it's just hard to see Nebraska pulling off an upset of this magnitude. If it isn't better at, at Ohio state when it comes to finishing drives with points and we're all anxious to see what should be a revamp special teams for Nebraska, particularly uh competent place kicking, which, which it didn't have last year, but this is not the game for field goals. This is the game for touchdowns. Um, Ohio State, of course, is traditionally pretty accomplished in this. We don't look at this from a from a red zone perspective, and this is another uh, stat that Bill Connolly kind of pioneered along the way. Because it, once you're in the red zone and in, inside the twenty yard line, a field goal is virtually a given. So those aren't really telling you much. Uh, if you start it back at the forty, though. Uh, so once a team crosses the opponent's 40 yard line, you count that as, as a scoring opportunity. And that leaves a little bit more wiggle room that allows you to focus on, okay, how good or bad is this team at actually doing this? Like you've moved into scoring range. Uh, what are you going to do with those opportunities? A good offense in that scenario with a first down inside the opponent's 40 is going to average better than four points per trip. Um, and that's, that's usually how I refer to it as points per trip on those drives. Good defenses um, can keep teams to field goals. You know, if you get down around the three-point range uh, for, for points per trip inside the 40, you're doing pretty well as a defense. Last year's Nebraska-Ohio State game, Ohio State averaged 4.4 on its trips, uh, and Nebraska was at 2.3. And we know, like, Nebraska wasn't really great overall last year. In this category, they averaged 3.5 points per trip, which ranked 82nd nationally. And it didn't have a kicking game. It didn't have a reliable kicking game. They tried out a bunch of different guys. They had some bizarre injuries. And they even had, you have to factor in the drives where they didn't even attempt a field goal because they didn't have anybody who they felt confident hitting something from 37 yards. So that's part of why that reason, that that number is is so low, I think, uh, for, from last season. But it's got to change, and particularly in this one, if you've got a if you've got a kicker who can hit those thirty seven yarders pretty consistently, great. It's still not going to be enough to beat a team like Ohio State. So, touchdowns, not field goals. Uh, that's that's a life mantra, but it's particularly important this one to let you know where Ohio State left off in in this category. The the Buckeyes defense last year gave up an average of two point five points per trip inside the forty which ranked six nationally go back to that 2018 game. However, where Nebraska almost sprung the upset and the Huskers actually got the better of it. I mentioned that Lamar Jackson in his interception in the end zone. Uh, the Buckeyes only averaged 3.5 points per trip in 2018. Nebraska was at 4.4 and it gave him a chance to win that game in the fourth quarter. So those are the three, three things I'm going to be keeping the closest eye on because I think they're the three things that'll give me the best idea of how the game is going. And that's always going to kind of be the goal for this. So first down efficiency, um, AKA stay on schedule point one. Point two, create some havoc tackles for losses, passes broken up, forced fumbles. If you can get them. And then the third one, what happens when these two teams are on the opponent's side of the field, who's scoring touchdowns, who's scoring, who's selling for field goals, 
and worst of all, who's coming up empty in some cases. So that'll give you a pretty good idea, I think, of uh, how, how, how Nebraska's doing. And you'll be able to get a sense pretty early, you know, through the first quarter. You can just look at these, you know, it changes how, how you view things when you, when you think of, okay, these scoring opportunities really start this far out. So you turn it over at the 39 yard line. Like it's, it's pretty, it, it hurts. Uh, it, it, it takes a toll, particularly for a team that's trying to climb the mountain that faces the Huskers in Columbus. That's kind of the narrow path to victory here for, for Nebraska. Though I promised a silver lining uh, here in the second half, and we'll get it in right before the the final gun. Um, Nebraska is on the road at Ohio State, as you already know. That makes things makes things tougher. Nebraska is a less talented team. Um, that makes things tougher. But Nebraska, based on these returning production numbers, is a little bit more experienced Ohio, than Ohio State, and, and that's a that's a key advantage potentially. Um, or at least it's a advantage and maybe one of the few ones that the Huskers enter this game with. So here, here's some interesting numbers from a football season that so far has certainly been at least a little bit outside the norm. In 2019, the, the home team in an FBS versus FBS game, so we're not counting games against FCS schools because rarely is the outcome in doubt with those. Home teams in 2019 won 59.9% of the time this year through the games as of October 8th, it was 53.4%, which a lot of people theorized about this. I theorized about this coming into the year was what happens to home field advantage when these stadiums are mostly empty, um, when routines get jumbled, all of that stuff so far, um, based on who's just winning those games, uh, home field advantage has been a little bit dull. Let's move to talent. 2019, the most talent talented team per those same 24-7 team talent rankings won 66.1% of the time. And that's that's regardless of anything else. Home, away, um, time of day, time of year, just which team had more talent? Did that team win? That team did win 66.1% of the time. So far this year, it's down to 61.2% of the time. So... We've all watched some of these games, at least. Um, I've watched about everyone I possibly could in the lead up to this Nebraska football season. And you, you can tell things are a little bit messy. Things are a little bit more chaotic. And that's not what the more talented team wants. Uh, they want things to play out mostly to, to type. And, and you let that talent edge continually work for you. It's been a little bit harder to do so far in 2020 based on these early results that we're seeing. Now, things might flatten out by the time more teams get added, uh, more conferences like the Big Ten jump into the fold here. But for now, talent has mattered a tiny, tiny bit less uh, than it typically does. So both of those things, the the slightly dulled home field advantage, the slightly dulled talent edge uh, would be considered good things for, for Nebraska going into this one. And, and then there's one more, um, the experience edge. So doing the same thing we just did for talent, um, but talking about returning production, which team had more, did that team win? In 2019, the team that was more experienced based on, again, Connolly's preseason uh, returning production numbers, won 60% of the time. This year, that's up a tiny bit to, to 62%. Um, so again, we're talking, like we're, we're looking for needles in the haystack here a little bit. That's, that's what happens when you face a team on the road as a 28 point underdog, uh, or, or thereabouts, but there's, there's, it, it's a strange season. I, I guess that's about the only way to say it. Um, crazy things happen. Nothing so crazy in this season yet as, as, as a 27 point or 28 point underdog, going on the road and beating a more talented team, but home field isn't what home field used to be. Um, at least for now, the, the talent edge isn't quite the edge it was. And you know, again, we're, <laughs> it's just fractions, but you gotta, gotta look for those things. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll keep an eye on those numbers all year long just to see if they stay the same or if they, if they get a little bit 
if they kind of regress to the mean, if they get back to what an average college football season would be. I think that'll wrap us for uh, this this first real episode of the the IAU preview. Again, we'll be we'll be back each week if you if you want even more in a, in a slightly different perspective on uh, Nebraska Ohio State. I would recommend checking out Jay Moore's podcast from this week. Um, each week, Nebraska plays a game. He'll be doing an early week kind of super advanced look ahead and uh, highlighting four key questions that that he has going into the game. And it's always good to get uh, a former player's perspective on that. Greg Smith and, and former Husker Jay Foreman had kind of a, a bigger picture season preview this week on the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. So uh, I would urge you to check both of those out and, and check out all the podcasts on the, the new and rapidly developing Hale Varsity Network. Uh, we've launched a, a handful of new shows, got a couple of more in the works. Um, so I'm excited for people to, to get a chance to hear some of those and yeah, subscribe to the magazine. Uh, if you find yourself in Lincoln or Omaha at a high V, you can look for uh hail ale, our new partnership with Kincader brewery, might be a little bit hard to find. It was it was super popular in its in its first week of release, which which is cool. Um, and there's a plan for more. But um, yeah, if you're if you like to 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 have a beer with your football Saturdays, uh, check out Hail Ale. It's 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 become. I've gone through all of the kind of craft beer cycles. I think uh, from you know home brewer at a certain point to, okay, let's try all of the, the crazy stuff. You know, you're putting out a hot chocolate stout, um, sounds kind of dumb, but I'll try it to the point now where I'm just like, I just want something that's really made. And if it tastes like, you know, one of the great beers from Germany, even better. And I'd put Halo in that category. Um, it's, it's incredibly drinkable. It's just a nice refreshing beer. Not a lot of, uh, show stopping, twists and turns to it. It's just, it's just a good beer. So if you find that, check it out. Let me know what you think. And if you have any um, questions or comments uh, 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 for me uh, for future games about some of the concepts we talked about here, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel, or you can email the show at i80 at hailvarsity.com. Thanks for listening. A Huda Media Production.